Okay, I started. So, my phone is on. <laughs> Shall I uh, go in? Let's. Or do you like it? It adds, uh, it adds wisdom to know. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, shall I begin? Yes. I'll do a welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we are on Skype. Uh, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Elite Marom. Uh, at the moment, I'm in my apartment in Haifa, Israel. And I'm happy to talk with you. Thank you for giving us your time. Uh, let's just start at the beginning. What is the the work that you're doing? What are you busy with? What is the lens that is, like, what's the idea that comes to you in the shower or wakes you up or is in your dreams or how are you seeing the world at the moment? I guess there's um, like an impulse for me that relates very much to physicality and bodies and how I feel my environment and it relates so much to language but not so much the spoken language but rather the physical language so our body language and nonverbal communication and maybe my interest um, developed through uh, the years of me being a dancer, dance student I actually had a really like uh, clear uh, straight path of ah, I like to dance, I'm going to dance I'm going to be a dancer uh, it was really clear for me <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but but underneath that I think I was a bit unaware that actually I was not like the one that everybody thought, ah yes, she should be a dancer I was kind of struggling through it and um, because uh, dancing is a way of expressing myself or moving is a way of expressing myself or my body is how I actually connect to the people to the landscape to my my own thoughts to my own expressions and I think um, now where I'm more uh, making choreographing more on the artistic side of it all it becomes much clearer to me that this is where I get inspired and why I also why am I interested to be in this uh, kind of working or purpose in life to um, unfold this way of uh, being with each other, which is maybe not through saying what we are, but actually just being and how that comes across between people. Is, can you go a little more into talk about w- what is the, the difference there or like what is it when you are just with people in an active way? I 
guess I noticed that um, some people are really natural with their body. Like they have a way that is um, almost like uh, reflects what they think, what they like. People who cannot actually hide what they really are through their body. And some people that I observe are really um, awkward almost. Like they have policed their body language. They are obtained somehow in what they should and how they should act. And uh, how far or how close they can be to a person. And then I find this range of in one hand being really uh, transparent and on the other hand being really uh, trained a very nice range of like playfulness so for me when I'm with yeah in like in different situations could be like a one-on-one talk or maybe being in a group of people. I'm doing these small observations or tryouts. Like sometimes I would, <laughs> I would change something in my posture or my proximity or, and just see what happens and how that affects people. And I think maybe like a small example and very, very, maybe other people could also relate to is eye contact. Eye contact is very strong and powerful uh, tool in body language. And uh, I experience if I get a, a bit longer eye contact than the usual one, like maybe let's say longer than three seconds, it's like such a powerful tool to get to know, like to exchange with, uh, with other people. And uh, it changes the dynamic of of a room even, of a, of a group. So, um, yeah, I agree. And I wonder how to... Uh, hmm, because, okay, so I'm wondering about being transparent and being trained. And I wonder, did this this awareness for you about what you can play with uh, when engaging other people physically, if that is a trained awareness or if that is that you somehow were just, you are so with yourself physically that yeah. it you were always aware? <laughs> I guess the... Maybe origin of this fascination started because I noticed, like, I, I, I got curious about uh, different bodies, different people, and how they behave physically. And um, then um, when I graduated, I had like a, like a dance um, education, like a, a dance academy. Um, trajectory. So I graduated in 2010. And then I started working a bit as a dancer. And then I got to a point where I said, okay, now I want to make a solo for myself. 
which is like was in uh, 2012 and um, it was a moment where I also um, rehearsed in the atelier so in the studio of my partner who is a visual artist so we kind of worked uh, in the same space and I was moving and he was uh, whatever uh, building stuff on the other side of the space and um, we also started in that moment um, collaborating and actually finding common interest in, in work of body and um, we we initiated a research project called uh, a state of statement which talks about uh, the rhetorics of the body and I went into a very um, aware like process I think it was maybe three years of really observing life but also like watching um, speeches and lectures and observing how people uh, are being directed in films so like great speeches from movies and really analyzing the body language not in the sense of mind like acting it or just uh, analyzing it and saying what what every posture means because there is a lot of theory also around rhetorics and body language and communication uh, consulting but actually we went more into researching the small nuances of uh, how could how actually body language reveals and how can you become aware of what you do when you do it and what the effect of the room is. So basically I would I would uh, perform a speech that has no subject, no words, no greater meaning, but only uh, that underlines like the, the song or the dramaturgy of hi everybody, this is me, this is what I have to say and um, this is how I feel about it, and goodbye. But this kind of dramaturgy would not be um, addressed like with words, but it would be constructed by like physical score, let's say, and I would perform it. It was like a set material was not improvised but it um, it went very analytical into the ingredients and then very um, sensitive in how long shall I pause how much can I connect to the people uh, in the room how does if I run forward now towards you what is the effect? How do I sense my audience, basically? So it became much more about my moving, affecting the people who I'm talking to, and how could they maybe relate to it? What does it make them feel? How does it make me feel? Uh, it was very... Um, I don't know. Intuition was 
helping make the decisions rather than uh, analytic strategy or something. Yeah, it went. It started from more analytic, uh, analytical strategy, and it it evolved into basically if you feel like they are not listening, like kind of sort of saying, then you have to wait longer or you have to raise up your voice a bit. Then you have to get them, and then you can continue. But if you just do your score, that's maybe boring, or maybe you don't get their attention. And it it's. For me, it, uh, yeah, it changed completely the way how I perceive um, engaging on a, in a performance as a performer. I became so much aware, like it made me at first, uh, how do you say, like more vulnerable, which is also a kind of uh, uh, a strength of a good speaker, like a person that is not like a robot or a big dictator, but actually is sensitive and can share uh, a bit of vulnerability to get uh, more um, um, connected to a public yeah, empathy um, but it also made it okay to really abuse kind of the power of being on the stage and saying yeah if I want now I will just open both arms to the sides lift up my chest get the attention of the whole room towards me kind of and just use it. It's not me being arrogant. It's me just asking for uh, attention or something. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's interesting where, um, like, uh, if if people are transparent in the way that they are physical in the world and in their bodies, then it reveals them. But also if the like the ultimate goal of any kind of physical training is to reveal the self as well it seems mm-hmm. yeah but at the, and at the same time there is a danger of erasing that authenticity of the body let's say of the yeah this trained body I mean, how aware are we of what we just, uh, how do you say, like shut down or um, shove down the throat of our body? <laughs> like, just put it down so you can be a really good whatever. And, uh, and I guess at the moment I'm really interested in how can we stay alive with our senses, but also to be more soft towards our posture, facial expression, how how far or close we want to be to other people, how much can we even let, like one of the most interesting parts of body language um, that I still didn't uh, investigate uh, on a, in a performance uh, context uh, yet is the, wow, now I don't have the English uh, term of it. But it talks about the liquids of the body. So, for example, a very clear body language uh, element is tears, sweat. If you spit when you speak, uh, it's if you pee when you speak to somebody. Like this kind of um, uh, level of body language that is so powerful because if somebody talks to you and they cry as they talk or if they are completely sweating 
it's really um, you cannot avoid the message like they can tell you that they are okay but you will not believe them if they are crying you think no something is wrong so it's much much more powerful than words in a way so the kind of fluids that drip from the body yeah or if they're bleeding it's even that uh, throwing up I mean I'm not so interested in just going up on stage and showing myself peeing or throwing up it's not about that but it's more about <laughs> the, um, the, the what does it communicate and how much are we open to it uh, in our, our, or are we aware of it in our uh, daily life so in a way what um, what could maybe be a, a way to frame it is that this kind of non-verbal communication and body language it's a shared vocabulary between the public spectators and who could be performing so in a way in the performing arts for me it's a way to give messages to make myself uh, understandable to express myself in a way that I know that if I cry on stage or in a performance it says something that they can understand because they know what it is to cry. Maybe they will not know what it means to to turn perfectly on one leg or to make a very cautious uh, or very, um, I don't know, like a very, um, like uh, almost a mathematical way of like counting and doing a perfect kind of uh, movement phrase but they will know what it means to just take your head, uh, pull it down to the floor and curve your back. They will get immediately a sensation or, or image or a, or a feeling that they experienced in their life already. So it makes like a shared physical, physicality between who is watching and who is doing. Um, and I'm interested in using and, and making it and articulate through that awareness as a performer and as, a, as, a, as an artist working in the performing art field to, to get closer to the people who we are performing to. For me, it's a very big, it's like they are a big part of it. Otherwise, I can just dance on here on my balcony. <laughs> And that would be perfect. Why do they have to watch it? It's not like it has to be all fully articulated and understandable and uh, art should be uh, like a sentence of a book. It's a different method. It's a, it's a different discipline. I know it's much more liquid, let's say. Or, um. What do you think is the point of getting people to come and watch you? I know for me when I go and see performances I'm interested to meet the person who is performing but also the, the artist behind the art piece so I'm not interested in like the truth of life or tell me the most um, accurate thing or 
I'm really interested to know how this person feels and thinks about whatever they're doing and how did they want me to experience their performance. So the more an artist can be fully um, like his craft, he, he knows his tools, he knows his like way of working, he is like um, brave in uh, his or hers uh, way of doing what they're doing. This is the most, this is what I'm looking for. This is more interesting for me. I'm not looking for like the equal good performance that all the performances should be good in the same way. I think all the performances will be good in the same way if each person will just do really what they want to do. <laughs> and how do you know what it is that you need to do or want to do? How do you know? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't think there is one answer for that. But I guess if if you are as an artist are willing to go through a path like travel through things beyond the on the on the process, not go getting out of your comfort zone, um, questioning, asking. Um, and um, yeah being brave meaning also I think I experience um, you know how they say some people like uh, uh, actually they say every all the people they have either a tendency to get depressed or a tendency for anxiety. Like mostly, like people are divided in these two things. Like maybe some people have both, but I'm more of the I'm more of the anxiety people. I, I I get like, oh my god, what shall I like this kind of energy more than being really depressed. And um, uh, growing up in Israel. Uh, being an artist, meaning uh, living a life that are not that is that are not um, so secured in terms of uh, will I have work, will I uh, get injured and I cannot do this anymore, uh, all this kind of uh, mental stress about security in life. Um, I feel I grew up with a lot of fear around me, and I just moved. From my surrounding, from I think more as a psychological state, like people have fear. Um, I moved uh, back to Israel, so as I said before, I'm living now in Israel. Okay. But I moved back here two years ago. Before that, I was living in the Netherlands for nine years, where I studied and worked. And moving back here, I realized, wow. The politics here, the society here, there is a lot of fear and it's running the country almost. Uh, and I have a feeling 
if you can res like resist fear or maybe say, okay, I accept it. I know it's existing, but I will not let it uh, control me. Or in Hebrew, we say, I will not let. I would not be managed by the fear. I will manage myself by something else. And I think if I think fear also of um, will uh, the public love my work or not? Will they accept it? Fear of will uh, I do it good or not? I think this is all very real. Like I. I, I do have these thoughts sometimes, but I don't care about them so much. I think if I really, if I want to do what I, what, uh, yeah. Like going back I to really what like we said before. Idea. You have, you have the thoughts, but then you don't care about them. And if you yeah, don't. I don't judge them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the thought comes up. But if you don't care for it, it will leave. And so then it leaves space for you to care for the thoughts that come up that you want to nurture and extend and nourish. Yeah, hopefully. How do you tell those things apart? Like what kind of thoughts have come up for you where you're like, hmm, that's a good one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> I'm going to try and nourish I'm going to try and find some friends to get on the same track with me hmm. interesting your question because I have a feeling no I'm more easily knowing what are the thoughts I don't want than the thoughts that I want and I have a people. I have a. I have a feeling that a lot of people knows exactly what they don't want and know less about what they really want. Um, so me too. <laughs> but, but um, I have um, I have a strategy for that and. Um, becomes very psychological but <laughs> self-help <laughs> artist therapy no um i guess it's just because for me uh, the like this work which is very physical comes from the body separating uh, thoughts and ideas and uh, wishes and uh, fantasies and then the reality of these or the becoming of these thoughts and things are within us within our body so it's not like I made a song and now it's on the radio playing. No, it's always us. Are, we are involved in what we do always. So um, my strategy is to just listen to how I feel. And if I'm doing something or thinking something or wanting something that makes me feel good, and I want more of this good. And if I feel bad or if I feel less good, then I think my feelings are smarter maybe than me. I don't have to control my feelings. 
I can help, they can help me navigate into what is more important for me. And I think like, also it's like a very simple example, but when I um, wanted to be a dancer and then I graduated from this dance academy and then I started doing uh, independent projects, but actually I had, I was holding into this idea of um, I want to dance in a company because a company is like real dancing and project-based artist and this is maybe not so, um, maybe it's less good. Like maybe it has less prestige. Maybe I, I should just try and audition for all the companies. And then and there's so many. <laughs> But but uh, what I did is like I did I we did go for a few auditions and I felt so bad I'm really uh, first of all I'm really bad with auditions second I had friends who were dancing in companies and a lot of them were not so happy I mean maybe now it's a bit um, uh, of course it's from my point of view. But it's all the whole story is more about saying, um, listening to my own feelings about being in one place, working with one kind, one group, working in uh, with one choreographer, being a part of this system where you do 80 shows of the same piece and then you have to do that. I um, was really just not for me. And... Um, the moment I, f I felt I started recognizing that maybe I'm not doing so well because in the auditions because I actually don't really want to be there. <laughs> could that could that be? Yeah, I was just feeling really bad in all these places and because I was already getting so maybe coming back to how you and I met Matt. Um, when I graduated, I started working with uh, Simone Tuong. She's a Swiss choreographer. And uh, we met during my studies. And um, she's, I love her. Like, she's a very special person. And I uh, learned a lot from her way of working. Like, what are um, her, um, like, anchors. Like, what is important for her when she's working with people. And it felt really good and uh, like like I believed her and I believed the work that we did and I just saw such a big difference between um, being like uh, yeah being safe and being unsafe as well and being uh, more open to maybe not have the steady job, but then just do the projects I'm really interested in. And going from one thing to another, maybe developing my own practice, developing. I just, I was really drawn to that. I was really like, oh my God, this is so interesting. But at the same time, I was afraid to do it. So I kept like, you know, saying, okay, I'm a dancer. I'm not a, let's, let's keep with this, um, yeah safe place that my dance teacher told me I should do and in a way it's very basic it's almost banal talking about me like we are having a conversation about what uh, like more of um, concepts and 
you know, this an, um, um, intellectual artist talk, and I'm bringing back me being a child, being a teenager, then becoming a, an adult and making my own choices about my life. But well, I think it's pretty integral. One one can't exist without the other, and um, and there's a fear of not succeeding at the thing like uh, there is momentum that helps us move towards something and then we get stuck on the thing that we're moving towards and we're not happy just with the fact that we're moving anywhere <laughs> and that is the mm -hmm. thing I remember like um, not wanting to be thought of as uh, some kind of independent choreographer even though I was making my own work because I wanted people to employ me as a dancer I didn't want people to think that I was more interested in my own thing than I was in dancing in theirs um, if they were the right people and the right team and the right topic but I'd, I don't know it might be like you were saying that actually that's what I thought rationally and logically and that's the image I had built for myself um, that I had trained but actually if I was being transparent then it's like this thing that we all eventually become is our true transparent selves if we allow it mm -hmm. which which to me is yeah, like there's no banality there it's like the lifelong quest for our self to somehow form a harmonious whole instead of being so um, uh, so split through anxiety or self-doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, you made a very nice connection actually for me now. Like I didn't realize until now, but it has to do with this trained uh, obtained policed body and uh, who how yeah I don't want to say authentic but more like leave my body alone let it be whatever it is and <laughs> just let it be <laughs> when I think about the, the power and the beauty of having adventures that involve my body dancing or I don't know rock climbing or whatever it is what I think is actually I want enough training so that it can become all that it can be I don't want no training mm -hmm. but I don't want training that is w uh, from the wrong um, uh, meaning or impulse or desire or agenda I don't know there's one and I think it's when you were mentioning before about like going to places to be there and then not being happy there. <laughs> um, I think that, like, we save ourselves from places that we shouldn't be in, but only eventually and only if we listen to instinct or intuition. And it's hard to know what is, what is intuition saying this is wrong and what is fear saying this is unknown. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's like, there's all these yeah, ongoing I, discussions about the possibility of uploading oneself into a, into the digital realm to thwart death. Um, but there's this dude 
who speaks about that like the technical problem with that not even like the spiritual problem but the technical problem is that so much of humanness and the way that we understand the self is grounded in gut feelings in your like organs perceptions of themselves in heaviness and in fluids like you're talking about like at there's there's no one part of the body that that tells you that this is yourself and you can put that bit in something else and it would still be the self but at the same time every cell in your body when it's trying to fight like uh, an illness or something your immunity is your immune system is always saying this is me that is not me and so somehow it is mm. your your entire body is telling you what yourself is but then nothing also is the self anyway that dude's name was thomas i think metzinger but he but i just really like this idea of like transparency even unto ourselves through our training anyway i ran to a little bit no no it's really interesting no i also agree with what you like many of the stuff you said now I was just trying to write down the name of the guy <laughs> Thomas um, Met- Metzinger, Metzinger yeah is um, M-E-T-Z-I-N-G-E-R yeah but I wonder no I like how does any of this go into work how does any of this go into something that you put on stage mm-hmm um, I mean, if I if I go by uh, the timeline, so if I go back to this uh, project we started in 2012, the state of statement, and to this uh, a state of statement. Was that the solo that you had started working on, or you did the solo and this was a different thing? Um... It started separately, like it started, uh, no, it came from the solo. Actually, I started making my own solo and then I think maybe I worked like three months on it. And then after one month, um, Adam Nillison, my partner and this uh, artist, uh, entered and then we decided, okay, let's do it together. And then we already came up with like a trilogy <laughs> of solos and things. So we basically set in at that moment, set set it up no you don't say it like we have set a, a structure for us to establish yeah, like a, a structure of working on few like works and then the what we did and how this actually um, looked like on stage um, the first two works were just um, physical speeches, like a physical speech, a performed speech. Uh, we <clears throat> we did like a, like a formal research, going into rhetorics, Greek, uh, watching TED talks, uh, reading about uh, rhetorics and body language, and um, just really constructing the three parts of, of a speech so when you have 
or maybe I should say, we just um, chose this idea of a speech because it's like the most profound, like I'm an individual and I stand in front of a public and I have something to say that I want, I want, to con- I want you to connect with or I want you to understand it. And I felt this is like a very basic and ancient and it's being used still until today and maybe it's a good starting point. And I think afterwards it evolved more into uh, examining the different uh, elements and parameters of nonverbal. So I made a work about posture and how this can uh, how changing your posture actually changes how you feel. And I did a TED talk about that huh? as well. <laughs> Really? Just, really? Well, it, it was what a TEDx talk, but just um, it was called The Power of Movement, basically. Um, but, yeah, also this thing that, like, uh, how strange of an idea it is to think that we can think ourselves into a new mood or state or emotion, and sometimes you need to work from the outside in. And I like I got the audience to stand up and do like a roll down, and then um, also demonstrated how like the the physical alignment of reading or being on your iPhone or whatever is the same alignment that you do and the same posture you do if you're feeling quite sad, and so if you spend long enough in that your body will think that you are sad and then you will be sad and you won't know why you are sad. <laughs> anyway, sorry, back, yeah. to, back to you. But that's, no, but that's really um, powerful. I remember it's like once you realize the, it sounds really funny, though, the power of the body, <laughs> how powerful the state of your, or how it could be like the composition, but also the yeah the state of your body, yeah. uh, how it really affects you. And yeah, it can just be a bit more. You can play with it. Play with it. And so, do you see how put? How do you make a show out of this? And is yeah, it a so dance show what, or is it? So we did, are you not worrying yeah. about those kind so of things? Like, so what I realized is like we did these uh, two, uh, three works that were really for uh, theater. Then we did a speech, uh, like a speech in the park, like in Hyde Park, where people are actually passing by. And if you are interested enough, interesting enough, then they would stop and listen. So we did this uh, speaker's corner uh, speech. And so I did it on, uh, we took a ladder and I, w- I was, yeah, so we didn't really do it in a park. We did it in a festival <laughs> where people know, knew that this would happen. And we did it in an um, exhibition in a gallery where people would just pass by and then people were really stopping. But also because I had like a loudspeaker and I would gather the people. I would be like, hey, everybody. I, ha- I started with the voice. People would, would gather. And then I went, it was like uh, no no sound, no music. It's just my physical. So 
my physical my physicality so they gather I put down this loudspeaker and then I step on the ladder and I start the whole thing uh, which was really fun and so we went more from like theater into site specific gallery and then um, I think in 2015 when we moved to Israel um, we this, we um, the whole pro research stepped into a new phase of really focusing on stories and um, I was inspired by the project I did with the Argentinian uh, theater maker called Vivi Teles and uh, she's working with biodrama she says that every aspect of our life our childhood our family our daily life they contained or they are containing already uh, so much of uh, theater that we can just use them as inspiration and not so much to do a documentary about what life are and showing the facts but um, even in your uh, family album you have already texts and songs and dates and uh, fashion and like costume design and you have them there so in 2015 we did it's like multidisciplinary performance in a, uh, it's like a 360 stage or a space where people were just sitting all around and we um, it was it had like some sculptures some items uh, like uh, there was a notebook from my teenage life where I was writing things there was a postcard jewelries of my grandmother and we just did like a one hour show of like going through a landscape and basically using all the elements and the knowledge that we have from body language and knowing like okay now this is already in our toolbox so the first phase was really on discovering what are these tools And now it's much more about how do we use these tools in a performance to maybe say something else. What do you mean? Can you repeat? <laughs> I didn't hear the beginning of it. Um, what did you discover about how to use the tools? Mm. Mm. So... so mm, I guess it's like choreography. But just... maybe more powerful so like choosing your eye focus or eye contact how to use it if you have people all around if you make a full uh, scene just talking to one person in the audience or if you are turning around walking around you bring a totally different energy to the whole scene Um, or if you if you talking about um, if you like ah if I like one part I would sit inside the public um, or I would be on stage so the idea is more maybe 
if you look at the show, you don't think, ah, they worked with body language. It's not important anymore for me that you know this is the subject. It's not the subject. It's the craft. It's like the materials. So we have the awareness of um, the nonverbal communication that we are using or doing and it helps it makes the the piece kind of go but now actually I'm, I want to start um, I'm going to start a new uh, project uh, and again going like going back to say because so the, the the piece that we did in this uh, 360 stage was called more than one and it was really about stories 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 it was a lot of text and and actually I feel like that there is a path that I did also with uh, to come and see in it so it's another project uh, that you saw and we performed in uh, Brisbane this uh, February, last February, uh, with a group uh, of uh, we were our five choreographers. So I have a feeling every piece I do or every work that is being created has its place in my journey and develops somehow from the previous one to the next one. And uh, I have a feeling now I did this super focused on no words, just a body, then super focused on a lot of words and stories and the language is, is there. And then now I am, I want to, I guess it would, it would be even more like, this would be um, the, the, Nonverbal communication, verbal communication, body language would be like the secondary or like the the earth of the from with from which the piece would grow, but it would not be so much uh, upfront like yeah something like that. <laughs> sorry thoughts and the language. <laughs> Sorry. That's no, but this is this is always when something is at the end. What do they say? Retrospect is much clearer than being able to see the future. Yeah, that's a good sign. And that maybe, is why we I do cannot the work, say exactly so what it is. So that we yeah. know what it is that we are thinking. Because if we already knew, we probably wouldn't really need to do the work. Um. And I guess then the question becomes why? Like, what is your biggest hope for all of the effort of making work and thinking about these things and sharing it with people? There, uh, there is um, a basic need, at least for me, to be understood, to be seen, to matter. And... Um, Maybe this is my attempt to 